0: This is the Up Next Podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli.
1: Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Alan Adamson. Alan is an industry expert in branding and has worked with a broad spectrum of consumer and corporate businesses in a wide range of industries. He's co-founder and managing partner of marketing strategy and activation firm MetaForce, an adjunct professor at NYU's Stern School of Business, and the co-author of the book, Shift Ahead how the best companies stay relevant in a fast changing world. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
1: At the heart of your book is the concept of staying relevant in a time of exponential change. And we look at companies in the Fortune 500 and the length of tenure and that ranking is shrinking. Disruption rarely comes head on. It's usually at an oblique angle. So leaders really need to hone their skill set in order to position their businesses in the shifting landscape. Before we dig into the lessons you uncovered and the approaches you suggest, can you tell us about the backbone of your book? That is the research that underpins your theses.
0: Everyone knows you have to change to stay relevant. And the theory is pretty easy. Yet what I was finding a few years back was more and more clients were coming to me and saying, hey, can you help me sell some more products some more services? And the issue wasn't their communication or how they were serving up their idea, the the issue had become, you know, they were no longer relevant. They were their father's Oldsmobile. You know, there was no amount of spin or marketing that could take a product or service that was not relevant and make it relevant. So I said, it's just me or are more and more clients falling behind? Is the pace of change accelerating and leaving more and more companies in the dust? And we were reading the papers all the time about bankruptcy after bankruptcy of iconic brands from you know Sears to Radio Shack to, uh, to many others. And we said, gee, is it just us? And we began to do a lot of research and looked at cross categories. And while certain uh, categories were suffering more than others, more and more categories were demonstrating that more and more brands, companies were failing to stay relevant and keep up.
1: Well, it seems like a two part. Problem really, you have to notice that things are happening, and then you have to create and engage in a relevant fashion. So it's you know it's a two-step success. It sounds like the way you set it up. But one of the questions though that I always have when dealing with the topic of change and using you know history as as our as our jumping-off point is I always think of that um, past performance disclaimer. You know the one past performance is no guarantee of future results. So when you're looking that past performance in this context, how do you know that the trends and insights that you're finding are are somewhat future-proofed? How do you determine that there are universal things that are tools for going forward?
0: Well, you know, your, your first observation was the number one reason companies, um, Failed to keep ahead because they didn't notice they were uh. becoming irrelevant. <laughs> you know, they were uh, on autopilot. They would had a "if it ain't broke, don't fix it" mentality, and as as long as you know, they would go into the office or where they worked, and they were in a routine. And you know, we we described it as most people running businesses were comfortable with the familiar and on autopilot and so by the time they decided it was time to change they were probably seeing sales start to diminish and customers start to disappear and it's that's you know the first step is that's too late by the time by the time else are crashing it's too late to shift ahead and so but most companies don't do anything until, until sales the house drop. is on
1: fire. Well, I exactly. mean, and, and this is you, you list right at the top of the book. One of the things that's really useful are these red flags. So if we want to think about the notice piece, mm-hmm. you know, noticing what's going on and let's let's talk a bit about those red flags. And the first one you say is math. And I, I was reading that. And I thought, well, isn't that really table stakes? If you're failing at the, the, the math of your business, your business doesn't seem to be working. How do you know that that's a relevancy thing versus it just your rubbish at business thing? Well, you know, or doesn't it it matter if you're bad at the math? It just
0: heads up. Yeah, to some extent, most sophisticated companies are not bad at math. Smaller companies get get that problem, but if if you, you know, I I think the maybe a more pertinent place to start is to ask the right questions. We did a project many years ago uh, for a large pizza brand. And, and they said, uh, you know, things are great. And, you know, one of the questions we, we posed to their customers is, you know, they, they, everything's fine, Alan, what are you guys worried about? It was, you know, if, if this brand disappeared, what would you do? And right. in the qualitative and quantitative research, people say, oh, I would just go to Domino's. You
1: know, <laughs> you Right, know, was there no was an obvious <laughs> alternative. There's, you know, it's no a, it's one really cared.
0: There was no right. engagement. There was nothing about, oh, oh, my God, how could I find a slice with this right cheese and the taste? There was zero hesitation to say, oh, I not just buy it. Well, isn't the
1: there, brand. though, a whole class of products which are low-involvement products, that that are somewhat utility, low involvement products and, that and are that relevant, sort of, but
0: are not different. You know, well, right. Which, <laughs> well, and that's
1: that's the red flag. Number two is you find you're competing on price. Now, right. again, though, isn't there a category of product where that's kind of where they operate? You know, yeah. if I'm buying this screw versus that screw, this thing versus that, you know. And
0: if you're competing on price, that's a red flag, obviously, because then people are only buying you because you're cheapest and you can keep on getting cheaper. But, you know, that game.
1: Everybody loses. Everybody loses in that situation. Know,
0: and that's the part of the math thing. If if no one buys you except when you're on sale. Um, that's an early warning sign, but people don't react. to We'll have to lower our price. We'll do more promotions. We'll, you know, we'll do uh, buy one, get one free.
1: There is let's take a look at a a somewhat more sophisticated where you think there's a big differentiator. Let's look at newspaper subscriptions. They're all Mm -hmm. discounted right now and they're getting longer and deeper. And yet if you talk to newspapers, they are still saying we're so different. We're so different. We're so special. It's like, okay, then why?
0: Well, that's a classic challenge with the uh, uh, lots of free content online, which is everyone can get anything they want for free. And so, why pay for it? And if you're just reporting the news, you're reporting that a, a dog bit somebody on Second Avenue. You know, there's no value in that anymore. That used to be valuable because you needed to get a reporter to uh, to go to Second Avenue to see the dog biting somebody. (laughs) But, you know, now everyone with a cell phone can record it for nothing. And it's instantly on Twitter. So, you know, the challenge for newspapers is they're still relevant, but they're not differentiated. And the best ones, a few that are succeeding, are differentiating not by, as you know, reporting on the news, but providing perspective, commentary. Uh, uh, helping you understand the news. And very few papers have succeeded in that. Even the ones that are trying to are are struggling because um, their main relevant differentiation of having news that was important and different that you couldn't get from anywhere else is disappeared across the entire sector.
1: Right. Right. Well, and then the next red flag you had, and this is a personal favorite of mine is data versus insights. And, I guess the question I have is also, do people really understand what insight is? Because I see an awful lot of dashboards that are very good at yesterday's weather, but not so hot about what you should dress for tomorrow. In fact, I, would I mean, say uh, it's the rare
0: <laughs> dashboard. Does
1: anybody dress for tomorrow?
0: Yeah, that's it. People, companies and people are swimming in information and information gets to your first point, which is past performance is no indication of right. future. And so unless you understand that people are buying your pizza and sales are OK, and if you You ask them, "Did they like your pizza? They say, yes, I like it. But if you don't ask them the the right question or have the right observation that what happens if it goes away and they don't give a damn, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then you're really you're up to your eyeballs and data. But it's irrelevant data. Uh, And so how do you get to, you know, an insight is to observe, to know something about consumer behavior that consumers don't tell you. If you ask them, they'll tell you, but, you know, it's you know, they will play back what they think the right answer is right. <laughs> and the easy answer, but they won't tell you what they're really thinking. You have to observe that and how they behave, how they talk, what they say. And that's why usually marketing and, and lots of businesses is, is really hard because people look at what customers and consumers do, but they don't really get at the why.
1: And the so what?
0: Right. (laughs) Exactly.
1: And so, well, and that, this, this leads to arrogance, which is a great one. I, I think that this is so important, but it also makes me think of Steve jobs and his quote about customers, not knowing what they wanted until they're provided with it. And he was obviously insanely arrogant, but also absolutely effective. And so character culture, if you're in an arrogant business if you're a leader in an arrogant business, you know, to your point about the people showing up and things are fine, and why would I change? It's not broken. How how can you get out of that headspace?
0: Yeah, well, arrogance is... And we can we can have a whole conversation about Steve (laughs) Jobs. But, you know, I I do buy into his premise that if you ask consumers what's around the corner, what do they want next? You know, they can only imagine they only have a rearview mirror. They can tell you what they've liked, but they can't. They can't see around corners. So, uh, if you're in a business that requires you to see around corners, waiting for consumers to tell you they want a pad where they can use their fingers to, to, to draw, and uh, you know they 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 can't they can't tell you about an iPhone. Uh, arrogance, though, is pretty prominent because the more successful you are initially, the more confident you become that you. You know what you're doing and and industries get very inbred and they surround Mm -hmm. themselves with people. This is a dated example. But, you know, when the cell phone industry ended and you talk to anybody, we did some research among people who were in that space where there's BlackBerry or Motorola or the other players. Nokia. (laughs) Nokia. Exactly. And and you ask them, you know, are you worried about early, early on in the iPhones? Who would spend, you know. $600 $600 or $200 or whatever the number is <laughs> to buy a phone when I can sell one for $100. Yeah, forward 80. to a couple. Right, <laughs> <things>. <laughs> right. And, and and you know, who would ever, and it was true with the BlackBerry people, no one will ever get used to typing on a screen. They they want a keyboard. The keyboard will be here forever. We, you know, that's ridiculous. That's a, that's a, that's a toy. And right. so you get so confident in your business and it's the same in big beer companies, who's ever going to challenge Budweiser, you know, you know, and you surround yourself with people that say, yes, you're right. You're a genius. And that's what happens in successful organizations. The people that have different perspectives wander away and you're left with people who've been drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> Forever, and so you don't you don't have any diversity of thinking, any 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 different view of the marketplace to succeed in business today. I think one of the key things, which uh, is obvious, is you need to have you know a little bit of peripheral vision. You need to Mm. see what's. No one gets disrupted by the person right in front of your nose. Well,
1: exactly. It's always at (laughs) oblique angles. Right. But but can you get to a point where you're so big that you can have a challenging culture you can have things that maybe could be do do better you could be being challenged by the government but you're so large that you're flying to space on your own spaceship you know that you're you know you're so big you're amazon so i you know what's going to really disrupt them can you get to that size i
0: well everyone can you still be disrupted well i i think right now when you're at the top uh, top of the peak it's hard to imagine that but so was you know sears was the top of the peak kodak was the top of the peak you know it's just the only thing for sure is if you're at the top of the peak you know i i do believe in the the famous quote from the former ceo of intel which is only the paranoid survive once you be (laughs) once you once you become so certain that you know you're you know king of the castle or queen of the castle you know then um then the only thing that will surely happen is you'll eventually, you know... Um,
1: Popple, which brings us to our last red flag. Beautiful setting it up of the Yertle the Turtle story, uh, which for listeners who didn't read Dr. Seuss, I don't know the one listener who didn't read Dr. Seuss, Yurtle the Turtle uh, was the king of them all. And he wanted to, mm-hmm. anything he surveyed, he was king. He would, he piled up all the turtles and um, he could see more and more and more and he wanted to get higher and higher and higher. And eventually... Who's the turtle at the bottom? Is that Mac?
0: Yeah, the at the uh, uh, uh,
1: I, think, uh, I think that's the name of the turtle at the bottom. The turtle on the very bottom of the stack gets tired of being at the bottom of the stack. He burps and the whole thing falls down. And your flag, which is somewhat related to arrogance a bit, is future looking. Looking out and in, in broadening your horizons is good, but ignoring the organization internals is... Is a risk, and right. so- this, you,
0: you, Any, any, anyone who leads an organization knows. Your, yeah, I think it was uh, the former chairman of of an airline. It realized he said, you know, we are as weak as our, you know, we are strong as our weakest link. in other words, if we right. have one gate agent that, you know makes you miserable. It doesn't matter if the other hundred employees are making you happy. You know,
1: you, yeah. you had a great line about uh, the person whose desk is farthest away from the customer <laughs> is
0: often the person
1: in charge. And I thought, that is so true. That's, that's the
0: challenge. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, one of the, it, it, when we went into this, there were so many more reasons people failed to shift behind. It wasn't, oh, here's what you need to do. You know, there were just, perhaps, you could eliminate lots of the reasons. And one of the biggest ones is the more successful you are, the busier you got, the more time you spent in conference rooms, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, looking at screens mm-hmm. and the less time you spent, you know, walking the supermarket, walking through cities, walking and talking to customers. You, you completely lose touch with reality.
1: Well, right. And, and linked to this is what if you're not the leader? A, a number of these examples that you cite in the book, and they're fascinating to, to read through, there were people who, who knew, even within the organization, who, who knew what was going to happen. Kodak, right? People mm-hmm. knew about digital cameras. They knew what was going on. You know, If you're the consultant, if you're the vendor, you're the manager below the C-suite, who's trying to get the big guys to notice the brick wall that's coming down the pike, straight at them, how do you get them to really hear what they need to hear?
0: And that's, you know, that's a tough question. One of the things you can do is listen earlier because the the other thing we, we haven't touched on is that, you know, well before sales start to drop and the sky starts to fall, another thing happens, which is your best talent. Mm. tends to leave. Once things start flattening out and once management is no longer listening to you and is on their own thing and say, no, we're king of the castle. Um the first thing that happens is is people that have a different perspective or people that are capable of challenging say, you know, this place isn't I don't think this place is a feature and they bail out. So you get a, a huge talent suck um once you're in the spiral of <laughs> Lowering revenues and sales, and so so the trick is earlier on, make sure you embrace the organization and look for the fringes, look for people to have different points of views and listen to them early on because they're not going to hang out forever and say, you know, I, I don't think film is going to be the future. I told you that a year ago. I told you that once. Once you don't listen to them the first or second time. You may not act on it, but at least listen to them, you know, typically they move on.
1: So I guess the the thing is, that's still a leadership perspective. You know, that's the leader needs to listen, needs to pay attention. And another maybe red flag is internal turnover of your top people. That's something you should be paying attention to. Interestingly, if we look at what's been in the news about the great resignation, is there perhaps a systemic relevance problem going on? Should companies be aware or thinking? About
0: well, I think, it's, you know, it, it, to some extent, the biggest challenge facing corporate America is that lots of young talent does not want to, you know, sign up for the uh, work for 20 years in the cubicle punching papers mm-hmm. <laughs> or pushing keyboards. And then, you know, away from my Mickey Mouse watch and get promoted and they'll be happy. So, you know, the, lots of the best talent is no longer being sucked into organizations. And it is a great early warning sign that much people talk don't talk about. You know, one of the companies in the news has been Facebook. And, you know, Facebook is uh, whether they have or not. Talent,
1: they're having talent leave. I mean, they, exactly. They have, they they words, so, that's leave. A, so this is a I, I was thinking about that when talking about the urinal, the turtle, the arrogance—that right. right. they're starting to have this rumbling happening, right?
0: And and so you know their business is still doing well, the revenue is still up. You know, so if you look at right. the traditional indicators, you know, you know, all all green lights and. <laughs> full speed ahead. But if you look at the softer things that you need to look at to see if things might be a little shakier, you should think about it. Uh, the number of talented people that have left over the past two years, you know, would be a warning Will Robinson moment. If right. you these, are, these are
1: early canaries <laughs> right. in that in that coal mine. Um, but again, as, as a junior level person, it sounds like or not junior, even senior, just not C-suite. It sounds like, well, you got to go if they're not hearing you, you know, if you're, I mean, can like do, conversations are inherently threatening because, right you know, people it's going well. I, I have a friend, we joke about it. It's the, the Boca problem. People are retiring to Boca and they have like three years. They just need to make it to that. And then they're fine. <laughs> and they're going to, you know, they're going to check out. And so trying to get them to see the light can be challenging. I,
0: I don't have an answer for that. I think ultimately, you know, when you're in an organization and you're saying that the sky is going to fall and we need to do something and no one is listening and no one's making any sort of change, hmm. you know, I do think it's unlikely that if you wait five more years, they're going to wake up and say, oh, let's do it. Typically what happens by the time they do something, you know, you find out that most organizations can't shift ahead mm. because they have waited too long and they've lost the talent, as we just said, you know, the right. best talent has gone out door. They, you know, they have no more money. So all they can possibly do is discuss, you know, how to cut costs and how to cut costs. And right. uh, and it's a uh, you know, it's unlikely any of them. You know, can pull out of uh, pull out of the spiral,
1: right? The um, death spiral that um, they, they just right. are in.
0: And so we don't have any, you know, easy advice for mm. you know if you're in, you know, if you you know go back in time, if you are that Radio Shack or you're right. that that company that is been around forever and you've just watched <laughs> um, slowly wither on the vine. There is no magic. Magical, take you know, take two aspirins and call me in the morning, and things are going to be okay. It's really hard to fix unless the event. I was just inter- interested by uh, you know the, the potential turnaround of Hertz. I've been mm. skeptical of the car rental business with Uber, and uh, are they really even looking at that? And are people ever rent cars again? But rather than just come back and do the same thing. I think it's sort of interesting that they were the one car company that took the chance and said, we're going to spend $2 billion and buy the biggest fleet of electric cars out there.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: In most situations, you come out of a bankruptcy, you're trying to glue the company together, you're trying to hold on to employees. You know, the the last thing you would do, you know, you you would probably go back to let's do what we did last year and try to put some Band-Aids on and some duct tape. You know, it's unlikely you would roll the dice and take the biggest gamble. Even if you were healthy, you could possibly take. Well, but
1: I I suppose it, if you think, you know, we're on life support, we, we gamble, you know, we gamble, we win. Or if we don't, we're, we're, what's the, what's the life expectancy going to be? It's interesting. So at the, tail end of your book, you share personal stories. Both you and your co-author share these personal anecdotes. And your story was about your last meeting during your first interview out of graduate school and how that exchange has shaped your life going forward. And can you share that story?
0: It actually res- uh, it relates to a uh, topic we talked about earlier. So I had uh, been through the nine interviews that they put you through back then uh, uh, at uh, a large New York ad agency uh, uh, Ogilvy and May, there, and um, you know, towards the end of the day, the HR people come by and say, Well, you've, you've done pretty well, but you know, we have everyone who's done pretty well before we make a decision meet the CEO, and so please go upstairs and um, uh, and he'll spend 15 20 minutes talking to you. And back in those days, it was pretty close to the Mad Men days, and went upstairs, and it was a a real office, you know, <laughs> with with all the you know the ladi donness um, of uh, Madison Avenue world that was in the height of its uh, cycle, and um, sitting there on the in, the in the big sofa, and the, the CEO Ken Roman walks over and, and picks up a piece of paper, uh, assuming that's a comments from the interview, and says, "So you've had a good day, and uh, um, you know you've met with Debbie and Mark and." bill. And I say, yeah. And I'm all ready for the, you know, tell me about what do you think makes an effective ad? Tell me about, well, you know, how do you build a media plan? Tell me about how do you do customer research? I'm, I'm just, you know, my head is exploding with, you know, prep, uh, Pre, prep yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, what Ogilvy campaign do you like? And, you know, David Ogilvy quotes, you know, I was, I was, you know, I have 15 fingers on 15 launch buttons. And he says, so Alan, um, I have a couple of questions just to wrap up the day here. You know, tell me about the last book you've read, the last show you've seen and the last movie you've seen and why you thought, why you liked it or why you didn't like it and what you learned from it. Hmm. And I'm sitting, uh, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm still thinking market segmentation. And I said, well, as a joke to buy time, I said, uh, well, I, I did enjoy Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss. And he said, oh, well, tell me something about it. And I go, uh oh, (laughs) that's it. (laughs) You know, he didn't get the joke. But fortunately, I I picked another book other than Green Eggs and Ham. Um, And uh, I survived it uh, somehow uh, by, you know, uh, 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 being able to recover from a total head was in the wrong direction. My head was in the wrong direction. And afterwards, I got. To know him obviously much better over the years, and I asked him, you know, Ken, why did you ask that question? He goes, you know, in our business, uh, we need to be our clients' eyes and ears. They are in the office, as we just talked about in the conference, and furthest from the customers, you know, we need to help them see what's happening and to do effective advertising. You need to be in touch with culture, with art with uh, music, you you need to help them. You need to be their seeing eye dog to help them see what's going on so they can stay relevant. And, you know, that simple idea of knowing that part of my job to help clients stay relevant and be effective in the marketplace is to stay in touch with what's going on because most of their time uh, later, when I was a Unilever, it became clear most of my time was in production meetings and uh, uh, sales meetings. You, you're in conference rooms 24-7 looking at screens and Excel spreadsheets. You're not out, you know, uh, reading the arts section of The New York Times. And so um, that piece of advice has stuck with me. And I still think it's perhaps even more relevant today.
1: Well, absolutely. I think it's really interesting. Do you believe that staying culturally aware is something that everybody should be doing, regardless of whether they're working on Madison Avenue or if they're at Unilever, for instance?
0: Yeah, I think it's the, it's the, the number one reason companies fail to stay relevant is their, their leadership and employees get in a bubble. Right. Their bubble. They're in the beer business. They're in the, the tuna fish business. It doesn't matter what. You know, they get into a bubble, and they don't see. You know, they they become myopic. The famous marketing myopia. They they become less. Uh, tuned in to changes. They, they don't see changes until they're right in front of their nose. In fact, we had an interview for the book with the former CMO of American Express uh, named John Hayes. And he said one of the best things he did to, to help him keep relevant over the years he was there, he was there for 20 years. He said, you know, I hired some of our celebrity people to help as advisors. So he hired Tina Fey not so much to be in lots of American Express commercials, but to be his advisor as to what's going on, what's hot, what's funny, what's trendy. And so besides being in the commercials, several of the celebrities would be in on his management meetings, helping his team understand the cultural context, arts, movies, entertainment, because he felt that without their perspective he was not going to be able to see where to go and how to get there
1: okay last question for those of us who can't hire, hire Tina Tina <laughs> uh, and, you know obviously books and and in theater movies are not what they used to be what do you believe people should be consuming in order to stay culturally
0: plugged in um I, I would say breadth rather than depth. Try to look at video content that's not targeted at you through an algorithm on Facebook or Instagram that's just serving up exactly what you watched before. You know, ask your kids what they're watching. Try to look at things that you ordinarily would never.
1: That's well, interesting. Fight the algorithms.
0: Exactly. So interesting. Your whole life is an algorithm and everyone's serving it up to you. But get out of the swim lane. Yeah.
1: Get out of what they're serving you. This is so, so good. And your book is really interesting. Great stuff delivered through real life stories. Thank you so much for sharing your time today.
0: It was a fun and a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for inviting me.
1: We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time, right here on Up Next.